in Christ. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Thank you, praise team, worship team. We're just uh, glad that each of you are here with us this morning in person. And for those of you who are worshiping with us online, we're grateful for your presence as well. There is just something I'd like to say to those who may be here, if you're here for the very first time. Uh, if you received a bulletin, which hopefully you did, if you didn't, they're out on the welcome table, but there is an extra flap in that bulletin, on that bulletin, I should say, and if you would uh, have a chance to fill that out, and then at the end of the service, when you leave, on the welcome table, there is a offering box. That's what we'd like to put, have you put in our offering, and that's all we'd like to uh, have you put in the offering as our guest this morning. I just have a couple of announcements that I need to call to our attention. First of all, on Friday night, this coming Friday night, uh, there'll be a gathering uh, here at the church, uh, a Thanksgiving meal. So there's a sign-up sheet out there on the table. This is uh, the, the name of the group is the Shens, but uh, basically it's a group that started when they were kind of in their 20s, and uh, now most of them have been there for about 50 years. So they're, they're a little bit older than that, but they really want everybody to come. So if you're interested in some really good home-cooked meal, uh, this would be a great place to be on Friday night, and there will be some fun as well. They're, they're a, a fun-loving group, so my wife and I are planning to join them, so we're excited about that, and hopefully you can join them too. Uh, just an announcement, next Sunday morning we'll be taking up a special mission offering. We do this once a quarter for our, our supported missionaries. And so we'll be taking up a special offering uh, for, for missions. And we'll also be hearing from our team that came back from Haiti and their ministry. So we're looking forward to hearing from them as well. So those are all the announcements that I have. Just glad to have you worshiping with us. And uh, as we were seeing that last song, I, uh, my mind went to the, the psalmist in Psalm 73. He says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's nothing I desire on earth besides thee. My flesh and my heart may fail but the Lord is my strength and my portion 
forever. Um, Let's pray. Father, we are privileged to be here worshiping with you this morning, and we pray that you would be magnified and exalted and honored. And I ask, dear Father, that as we work through a very challenging portion of Scripture, that your Spirit would speak to each person listening, that you would use this time to draw those who may be still living outside of your family, outside of your kingdom, to yourself, and those of us who know you, Lord, that you'd bring us into a deeper and more devoted and more sincere and genuine and authentic relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been getting all these solicitations in the mail. It's obvious that the 2022 election cycle is uh, at least ramping up, okay? And for those of us who live in Iowa, it's, it's and not just Iowa, but everywhere, it's one of those things where you say, you know, we're going to hear a bunch of politicians preaching about stuff that when they get elected, they're not going to do. And so their, their, their talk and their walk don't match. And as we think about the passage that we looked at last Sunday in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12, there was a, an admonition that we were to move away from spiritual hypocrisy as Jesus was talking to the crowd about the scribes and Pharisees, and we're supposed to move towards selfless humility. And if we think about that, the challenge for us is that we want our lives not to reflect in our spiritual lives what we abhor in our politicians' lives, right? We want our our walk to match our talk. We want our lives to be full of selfless humility and rather rather than uh, that sort of hypocrisy, that selfish hypocrisy. But that doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come to us just by, well, we woke up this morning and all of a sudden we're just filled with humility. And we're just going to show love and compassion and grace. And where grace is found, there is the Lord, right? I'm thinking, well, okay, so where is the Lord? Uh, Is He in us? Are we gracious or not? So it just doesn't come to us naturally. And so my challenge, I think, from this passage of Scripture we're going to look at now, not chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, but verses 13 through 24, is that we need to see the Lord in all of His glory... And all of his reverence given to him, we must tune into his holiness, which demands reverence. And then we must take part in disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness in order for us to put off and to avoid spiritual hypocrisy and to adopt selfless humility. That's the challenge for us in the text and so Jesus comes, we come to this place in, in Matthew 23 where we hear the, some of the harshest words Jesus ever uttered, okay? I like what John MacArthur said. He says, these of these words in verses 13 through 36, we're just looking at through verse 24 today, the most fearful and dreadful statements that Jesus uttered on earth. So gentle Jesus, meek and mild, becomes Jesus a roaring lion, in this text. Now, these statements uttered with uh, harsh statements are kind of in some ways balanced. We won't look at it today, but in verse 37, he kind of he, he, he's grieving, tenderly grieving over their, their error. 
but they provide us with instruction, helpful instruction. They give us a, a hopeful image of what it would be like to be spiritually authentic, and they provide us with some sober motivation to move in that direction, to eliminate hypocrisy and to embrace spiritual authenticity. And so the woes, as Sean McDonald in his commentary says, and this is kind of an abbreviation, the woes of, of Jesus in Matthew 23, beginning with verse 13, become warnings for God's people. The woes to the scribes and Pharisees become warnings to God's people. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to open the text to Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to look at the woes in verses 13 through 24 that reveal two forms of hypocrisy that God abhors. And these forms of hypocrisy that He abhors reveal to us what, what He really adores, what He really wants for us. I'm going to read the text beginning with verse 13 in Matthew chapter 23. Now, I'm going to just a proviso here. If you're reading the ESV or uh, you won't notice anything, but if you're reading the New American Standard or you're reading maybe the King James, you'll notice that I'm not reading verse 14. Okay? And if you look at the ESV, it goes from verse 13 to verse 15. I'll explain that in a minute, okay? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves." Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering upon it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, he who swears, swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on the throne. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus is not playing games anymore. He never was, but he's really serious here. And we see, I think, the, this is the way I've labeled this first form of hypocrisy, is that when our dedication prevents others' salvation... See, Jesus moves from talking about the scribes and Pharisees in the presence of the multitude to addressing them directly. <laughs> he's not talking about them, but speaking to others. He's talking to them and speaking about them. <clears throat> There's a, a couple of key words that I think kind of frame our discussion, so I'll, I'll, I'll hit those first of all. The first one is woe. You read down verses 33, 13 through 36, you see woe, 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 woe. Seven woes okay you get three pairs and an individual okay we're going to look at the first two pairs and each pair has its own heading 
Okay, so this first heading has two woes. The second heading has two woes. Next week, we'll look at the final two woes paired together and an individual one. Okay, so that's kind of how we're laying out, laying out the text. I skipped over verse 14, which is in the New American Standard Bible, not because it's not something Jesus said, but the oldest manuscripts don't record him saying it here. Okay, so we're not going to talk about it here. It's found in both Luke and in Mark, Mark chapter 12, verse 40. The essence of what he says is there. So it's not that Jesus didn't say it. It's just the oldest manuscripts don't have recorded him saying it here. Okay, so if you want to talk about that later, that's fine. I'm not saying it's not in the Bible. It's just not by the oldest manuscripts in the Bible here. All right, so the first two pair of woes will be discussed here in this, in this heading. And so you say, who's he talking to? Uh, these... These, uh, these harsh criticisms are balanced only by one verse in verse 37 of God's grief over and, and mercy and compassion over their, their failure. But the objects are the scribes and Pharisees, the two most influential and powerful religious groups of that day. <laughs> and he's going, whoa. Now, what's a woe? Well, we need to know what a woe is. A woe is a pronouncement of inescapable and impending doom. You're done. You're toast. It's over. You know, might as well close up shop. You're through. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. And so the next phrase is hypocrites. <laughs> Woe, hypocrites. That's a reference specifically directly to the scribes and Pharisees. Now, what's a hypocrite? A hypocrite, I think we talked about this, is a pretender. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but the, uh, the movie God is Not Dead. Uh, Kevin Sorbo plays one of the lead roles in that movie, and he plays the role of a philosophy, an atheist philosophy professor, right? He's pretending to be an atheist philosophy professor, you know? Uh, Lord of the Rings, Orlando Bloom, plays the part of an elf, you know, uh, Legolas. Okay, so he, he pretends to be somebody that he's not. The religious leaders of the day were pretending to be somebody they weren't. Okay? They were pretending to be true followers of God, but were religious frauds whose outward appearance of righteousness belied their internal rebellion. Oh, on the outside they were good, but on the inside, well, later we'll see, full of dead man's bones. Okay? They were corrupt, they were wicked. Isaiah 29, verse 15, <clears throat> talks about these kinds of, of people, but you, know, you can write it down, you can look it up. It says, Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in dark places. And they say, Who sees us? Who knows us? They're doing it in secret. But that's not who they are in public. So there's three uh, ways that religious hypocrisy in this text hinders people from entering the kingdom and therefore deserve God's judgment, those who, who are party to those ways of hindering people. To keep people out of the kingdom of God, and that's a huge offense to God. And so we see the first one is that despite claiming to open doors, we hinder people from, uh, in spite of saying we open doors to God, we hinder people from entering the kingdom if we shut off God's kingdom from them by not entering ourselves. If we're not entering Enter, if we're not in, if we have not entered the kingdom, it's, you can't lead other people into it. 
um, several years ago, we had some friends that were visiting us from the country of Hungary. And we were driving them to the airport and we had some time. And I said, would you like to see the, the state capitol building? And so they said, well, sure. Now, I'm telling you, I've been to Hungary. And we've been in, uh, like, St. Stephen's uh, Cathedral. And, you know, they spent, like, $2 million re-putting the gold plating and all this kind of stuff. The, the parliament of, of Hungary is in a massive architectural immaculate, spectacular uh, thing. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, okay, we're going to go see the Capitol. So uh, we got to the Capitol building. I can't lead them into the Capitol unless I go before them into the Capitol. I mean, you, you don't lead anybody if you're not in front, if you haven't gone in. So these guys had never led. They weren't leading people into the kingdom. That's what God is saying through Jesus. They, they shut people off. In verse 13, he says that... Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you shut off the kingdom. Now notice I said that these are the means. There's three forms of hypocrisy that keep people from the kingdom. Notice they'll be mentioned and then they'll say because. Woe to you because. Woe to you because. The cause is the cause, is the reason, the result of them not leading people in. So that's what, what's causing them not to go into the kingdom of God. That's what's causing God's judgment. The chief evil of every false teacher is that it keeps people from entering into God's kingdom. The religious leaders were confused. They confused proclaiming the truth with actually possessing the truth and practicing the truth. They thought if we just tell people what God's word says, that's all we need to do. And then they only did certain parts of it. That's the problem. Uh, you can see this, you can write this down if you want to look it up later, but in Romans chapter 2, uh, Paul addresses this in verses 17 through 21 and verses 23 and 24. So they were zealous in their religious observance, but they were not righteous. I'm thinking, hmm, that characterizes, I think, many people in the church of Jesus Christ today. Zealous. To do things for God, but not really righteous, not really right in our hearts with God. So they, they, didn't, they had not entered. Well, how do you enter the kingdom? That's the question that came to my mind, and maybe it doesn't come to your mind. Well, if they had not entered, well, how does one enter? Well, we saw this back in chapter 7, right? In chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus says that enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there is, are many who enter through it. In verse 14, he says, but Narrow is the way, you know, that, that leads to life, and few there are who find it. So you enter through the narrow gate. What's the narrow gate? Rather, who's the narrow gate? Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door by me. If any man goes in and out, he shall find pasture. Metaphors for entering the kingdom. John 14, 6, what did Jesus say? I am the way and the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. So Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the door. And so you enter in through repentance. That's what John said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from following your own selfish rebellion, and trust, believe in me. We looked at it in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. What did Jesus say when he says, who do people say that I am? Do you remember Peter's answer? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God, who paid the debt for our sin, so that if we would trust in His death in our place, that we would be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life that begins the moment we put our trust or our faith in Him. We'd be His children. We'd enter into the kingdom of heaven and be reconciled with God. And without grace and without faith, we're destined. And these people, without grace and without faith, they didn't trust in Christ because they didn't believe Jesus was the Christ. They had not entered. And because they had not entered, they couldn't lead others in. So we, we shut people off. Secondly, he, he says... We, we stop those who are trying to enter from proceeding. This is the, second, the third part of verse 13. He says, and those who are trying to enter, you, 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 shut the, you, you stop them. You, you keep them out. Well, how do religious people keep people out when they're trying to enter the kingdom? The scribes and Pharisees did it by feeding themselves. They were like the shepherds in Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, false shepherds who, who fed themselves on the word of God and the truth, but they starved people and they turned people away from the bread of life. They were feeding, but they turned people away from the bread of life. And when we turn people away from the bread of life, no matter how well-intentioned we are in our religion, we destine them for hell. We keep them out of the kingdom of God. Any teacher, well-intentioned or not, who promotes a false view of Jesus or turns people away from him, shuts them out of the kingdom. I, uh, several years ago, there was a person that I knew, and uh, this person wrote me a letter. They said, explained that they had been, um, they had been to see a, a pastor of a Christian church and had asked that pastor a series of questions. I mean, there were like 20 questions. And I remember I took hours to answer these questions. But the problem was that the person had gone to this pastor who, and related those questions to the pastor and the pastor's words to them were something to this effect. Oh, these are, these are mysteries too great to be understood. Is Jesus the son of God? Uh, do, we, do we die? You know, is, is hell an eternal conscious torment? Um, what, what do you do with... God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy... I mean, these are basic theological questions. And they, this person was told, mysteries too deep to be understood. And that person was shut out, stopped from entering the kingdom of God. And I was grievous because I knew this person well. And it's a, it's a tragic thing. That answer turned them away from God. So we can shut people out because we're not in. We can stop them who are trying to enter in because we present a false Jesus. And the third way, and maybe just related to the second one, is we sell others on a false religion that brings them to ruin. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel on land and sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Okay, just stop for a minute and think about that. What is Jesus saying about the scribes and Pharisees? They're sons of hell. <laughs> you wonder why they wanted him dead? Uh, 
He wasn't making brownie points. I mean, he wasn't being the PC person. He wasn't going along with the woke crowd of the day. He was telling them straight up, this is the way it is. But the, the application, I think, for us, they labored and were zealous. They went across sea and land to make proselytes. They were zealous for their faith. Trying to get people to embrace a perverted system of works righteousness that when they did, a, a proselyte is a convert, okay? It made the person twice as much a son of hell as them. Because you know what? If you, if you present a false Jesus and you win them with a false gospel, then they embrace the truth and they sometimes become more zealous in entrenched in that falsehood and a better disciple than the people who taught them. Remember the person I told you that went to the Christian pastor and was told these are mysteries too great to be understood? Well, they found a false teacher. And the false teacher had answers to all their questions. And they embraced a, a false gospel that doesn't have Jesus as the one who died for their sins. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a nice guy. But he's not the Savior of the world. And this person today is a very religious and very lost person. Shut out the kingdom. Because Somebody wasn't in and couldn't lead them in. Somebody stopped them from entering. And somebody sold them on a false religion that sent them and is sending them to hell. Therefore, we must be firm on the truth of who Jesus is. And we must be diligent to preserve it. We must be diligent to proclaim it. That there is one way of salvation. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's no other way. And it's not because Jesus was just a nice guy. It's not just because Jesus was a prophet. It's not just because Jesus was a friend of sinners. It was because Jesus died on the cross. And took the punishment that you and I deserve so that if we put our faith or our trust in Him, and then He rose again so that we can have the promise of eternal life because He lives, we can live. And so I say, with, not with pleasure, but there, there are many spiritual teachers out there who are proclaiming a message that prevents people from entering. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Muslims, the Christian scientists, you fill in the blank, who do not present Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, are maybe well-intentioned, but they are wrong, according to Scriptures. Passion does not determine truth. Okay? doesn't matter how passionate I am about what is wrong. It's still wrong. And so those who are passionate without truth are dangerous. But those who have truth but aren't passionate are not a lot better. God wants us to be passionate about the truth. Because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So what should we do? I got some bullet points. I don't have all of them in your bullet, and I added a couple after I uh, submitted that to Megan, and she printed it out. But uh, we, first of all, need to surrender. 
Surrender to Jesus. Surrender our own self-directed life and submit to Christ by repenting and turning from our sins and trusting what He's done on the cross for our sins in faith. And this, we need to study. We need to study so we can handle the Word of God. What is the theme for Awana? 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman who needs not be ashamed because we need to know the truth in order to teach the truth and if we don't know the truth, we won't teach the truth. If we don't know the truth, we won't practice the truth. If we don't know the truth and practice the truth, we won't preach the truth. That's what we need to know. It's the truth. And then we need to share. The salvation comes by grace through faith plus nothing, but trust in Jesus Christ and His death in our place. It's that simple. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's what Paul told them in Acts 16.31. It's not believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and go to church six times a week. It's not believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and get baptized forwards, backwards, upside down, uh, sprinkled, dunked. You know, It's not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and never have a bad thought. I'm not excusing bad thoughts. I'm not saying we shouldn't be baptized. Okay, I'm just saying we don't add stuff. We should share the gospel. Because that's where life is. If we don't share the gospel, people are going to hell. And that's the difference between us and others. It's like, I don't want to get rid of people who disagree with me. I want them to join me. We should shout for joy. You know, I read this in the scriptures, and I'm not very good at this. You know, When was the last time you shouted for joy? Well, in the shower, maybe. Not trying to get too personal here. But I mean, you know, you go outside and you, you look, I mean, it's a beautiful, gorgeous day. They praise God. No, well, you know, I don't know. Somebody might hear me. Well, that might not be a bad thing, right? You didn't see it before the worship, before you all came in here, but the praise team was up here practicing. And, and some, of them, some of these guys and gals, they're, they're kind of jumping up and down. They're kind of, it's like, Really? Can you do that? Why would we not do that? We serve a great king. I just love Malachi chapter 1. He says, we serve a great king. And we act like we serve, you know, some serf. We should shout for joy. And then we should show Christ Consistently ask God, to His Spirit working in us, to reflect Jesus. Where grace is found, the Lord is there. But I wonder if the Lord is there where we are, where I am. Not when grace is not found, He's not there. And so, do we prevent people from entering the kingdom? Are we steering people away because we've never entered? Are you here this morning and you're religious but you're not righteous? You're steering people away because you've never entered? You can trust Christ and be saved. Do we steer people away with a false gospel? A false presentation of Jesus? Works righteousness, you know, you get baptized, catechized, confirmed, uh, and attend church and take communion, and you're good. I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that's what some people say is makes you right with God. And all of those things I just mentioned are good things if they're done in the right way. 
John tells us in John, 1 John chapter 1, or 2, verses 3 through 6, he says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says he has come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. You see, we, we lead people astray. Uh, and, and when our dedication prevents others from salvation, it's a hypocrisy that, that God doesn't appreciate. But there's another form of hypocrisy here in the second two woes, and that is when our deception masquerades as devotion. Now, that's my wording. It's not uh, Scripture. It's my wording. There's two indications of deception in the next pair of woes. First of all, there is deception when our worship perverts God's truth. This is verses 16 through, through 22. You see, woe in verse 16, woe, and then everything else through verse 22 applies to this woe. And notice that it's directed. If you look at verse 16, you see blind guides. Then look down at verse 17, you fools and blind men. Now verse 19, you blind men. And verse 24 uh, is later, it's another occasion, but it's a different woe, you blind guides. And so these are stinging designations. These are the spiritual leaders, right? And they're walking around like spiritually blind men. They're like blind leading the blind. When our kids were younger, we went to South Dakota Went to the Black Hills, went to Custer State Park. Uh, we went a little bit south of there, went to Jewel Cave in South Dakota. Okay? Now, I can't imagine, now maybe you've never been to Jewel Cave, it doesn't matter if you've been to a cave. Just imagine going to a cave. Maybe you've been down to Branson and you've gone to the cave down there in Branson. Or maybe you've been to Wind Cave out in, uh, in Colorado. Can you imagine a blind person giving you the tour? I mean, that'd be kind of dangerous. Oh, there's a bunch of stalactites and some stalagmites, and there's a, a cliff that you know you might walk over because the railing doesn't quite meet up to the. And you go, Jesus says, you, you got a bunch of blind guides leading you around. They were supposed to be the keepers of the truth, but they didn't even know the truth. They didn't even live the truth. What was their offense? Here's what their offense was: they were teaching some people that certain oaths. Oaths, vows, promises, we looked at this in Matthew chapter 5, certain vows and promises to God had to be kept and were obligatory, they were obligated to, and other vows that they weren't obligated to, right? So if you, if you vowed by the temple or the altar, you're off, you know, no, no problem. But if you vowed by the gold of the temple or the, the offering that you gave up in the temple, then you were obligated to do this. Now, here's the deal. It's a double standard. Like, Really? It, 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 I liken it to, um, it shows that they really weren't concerned about the truth. They were concerned about how they can skirt the truth, right? There's certain truths that they were trying to get away from. It's kind of like young kids, you know, they say, okay, now you promise you're not going to tell. And so they're going, cross my heart. Promise, I'm not going to tell. So, now... Again, it's not biblical, just the way I, I try to understand it. It seems like they're saying that if you make a vow by the temple or the altar, it's a finger cross thing, you know? You're not really obligated to do that. 
so that we can get by with sin when it's convenient for us. When it's common sin and everybody's doing it, then we make an excuse for it rather than seeing it as something that's repulsive and offensive to God. Swearing by the temple or the altar was crossing your fingers, relieving you of the obligation. And Jesus, here's what he thought of it. You fools and you blind guides. That's what he says. Now look at verse 17. He says, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctifies it? Now you see the same thing in verse 19 with regard to the altar. You fools, which is more important? That which is offered on the altar or the altar which sanctifies it? And he's appealing to the Old Testament because in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 30, verse 29, in Exodus 29, verse 37, the temple and the altar had been sanctified by God. And so whatever came in contact with them became sanctified. That was a sanctifying influence of God. And that's what he's appealing to. So he exposed their, 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 their logic as, as, as flawed and their ignorance of the place of God and the ownership of God over everything so that if you make a vow, it doesn't really matter whether it's by the temple or the gold or the altar or what's offered, you make a vow before God, you're making it before Almighty God who owns everything, is in charge of everything, controls everything, and you are obligated to fulfill the vow. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you know, it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not keep it. Okay? God is their witness. And so this is, the, this is a summary, I guess, of verses 20 through 22. Therefore, whoever swears, swears by both the altar and that which is sacrificed on it. Who are swears by the temple, swears by the temple and everything in it. And the one who dwells in it, who swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and God who sits on the throne. Look, you can't get out of this, you guys. You're, you're, you're playing games. So what's this have to do with us? God's not fooled by deception disguised as devotion. He's worthy of our obedience. And I'm not going to, I wrote, I had a slide from Matthew 15. Uh, I'm not going to take that much time to look at it, but if you want to look at another way in which they did, is they taught as, as doctrine the traditions of men. That's what Jesus said uh, to them. He called them hypocrites because they were teaching as doctrine the tradition of men. Because they were telling people, you know, you should honor your father and mother, but then in the same time they're saying, whatever you have as far as money, you, you can say, well, this is somehow dedicated to God and escape uh, taking care of your parents. Doesn't work that way. What about us? And the big question for us is, uh, do we embrace a double standard in uh, religious practices to justify sin when it's our interest? For example, well, you know, if I just said to you, you know, is gossip a sin? Well, sure it is. Unless you're sharing that as a prayer request. Right? Well, we're not supposed to lie, right? You should not bear false witness. Unless you're dealing with the IRS. You know, or, you know, or it's just a little white lie. You know, that's, you know, it's no harm, no foul, right? Um, we're not supposed to say profane words, you know. It's not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. We're not supposed to use profanity. But it really doesn't matter how much we eat or what we watch on TV. You know, because those are, you know, kind of everybody's doing it, right? It doesn't really matter if I covet my neighbor's Aston Martin or his Lamborghini, uh, but I have to go to church every Sunday. And you know, 
Love your neighbor really doesn't apply when you're driving. Uh, I mean, it's kind of free reign to be road rage, uh, you know, and, and act like a knucklehead uh, when, when you're driving. You see, and here's a passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, where we see God's perspective on that kind of hypocrisy. It's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. You know, well, they sold a field, and then they came before the, the, the apostles, and they said, here's the money we got from the field, saying, claiming that this was all the money they got from the field, but the Spirit of God had spoken to Peter, and he knew that that wasn't what they had received from it, and guess what happened to them? You know, God offed them because of their hypocrisy and because of their wickedness and because of their sin. No, this is not acceptable to God. See, uh, David Platt put it well in summarizing, because we adjust to sin because it's common to us instead of fleeing sin because it's repulsive to God. You see, the first indication of deception is that when our worship perverts God's truth, the second manifestation of deception is when our worship neglects what's most important. Verse 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you tithe and mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these you should have done without neglecting the others. You see, God's displeasure is with this upside-down priorities. It wasn't that they weren't supposed to tithe mint and dill and cumin, and boy, did they. I mean, they counted the leaves and the grains of it and gave a tenth of everything. And Jesus is saying, well, that's, that's good. That's admirable. But their focus was on the minutia. You know, they measured on the minors. And they neglected what was most important, the weightier matters. What were those weightier matters? Justice. Right? And mercy, which is the opposite side of grace. Where grace is, where is God? He's there. And faithfulness. And so justice is right and fair treatment of all people. It includes the poor and the needy. includes everybody around us. You, you do justice. This is Isaiah or, or uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, right? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and I've said this before, well, I don't really want to do justice. I just want justice done on everybody else. You know, God didn't say that. He says, do justice. God, what do you mean? I got to do something? Yeah, do justice and to love mercy. What are the first two things Jesus said here? Fulfill the law, justice and mercy. And, 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 and mercy is compassion. It's not giving what's deserved. Um, you probably haven't seen this. Maybe some of you don't, haven't heard this. But uh, the Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver, Henry Ruggs III, he was, uh, at least he was, alcohol level was way high. He was driving 156 miles an hour, and he crashed into another vehicle, and, and the person in that other vehicle died. And one of his teammates, Derek Carr, said, right now, Henry needs someone to love him. And I'm going to do that. Wow. That's mercy. It's the same mercy that God showed you and me when he sent Jesus to the cross. 
Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. And yet I'm so reticent to extend the mercy that God has extended to me, to other people. You see that Jesus is saying, you need to... What was it what Bob was preaching on? What is Matthew chapter 22, verse 37? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. And the second is like it, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Justice and mercy. And faithfulness to God's word and his commandment is to love him, which is to love God. In another place of Luke chapter 11, verse 42, we see that Jesus said to them, if if they didn't obey him, they were not loving God. Disregard the love of God. You hypocrites, you disregard the love of God by not being faithful. Word. Spiritually blind, they focused on and prided themselves on abiding by the minutiae, you know. Hey, we tithe Mitt and Dylan Kuman. While they missed and neglected what's monumental, love your neighbor, love God. Okay? And verse, 40, verse 24 just kind of like, okay. You blind fools. What do you do? You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. And we're kind of going, neither one of those sounds very appealing. But gnats and camels were both unclean. And so what he's saying is literally they would use cheesecloth or whatever they would strain their milk or whatever so they would strain out the gnats, the microscopic animals. But in doing so, while they're doing this, they were neglecting to engage themselves in the most spiritually important activities which Jesus likened to swallowing a camel, not even noticing the offense to God. So you're going to eat a beast, you know, neglect what's most important, but you're going to strand out a camel, and you're going to pat yourself on the back. Whoa, I'm really good. The question, I think, for us is, are we content with the necessary but comfortable manifestations of, of following and serving God? Well, I, I come to church every Sunday. You know, I even go to youth group or Bible study on Wednesday nights or I help out with Awanas. I, I take communion and we have communion every Sunday at Creekside Church. And I take communion. I was even baptized. Can you believe that? And I, I, I give money in the offering. But we're unwilling to get uncomfortable for Jesus. To love others. To pray for them. To provide for their needs. Or to uh, actually show up at their house and, and you know, show them love and, and call them and care for them. I don't want to serve and help out the needy. I don't want to be involved with those who are lonely or hurting. I don't want to listen to somebody's sob story. No, I just ask them after, after we leave church, we're out in the lobby, and I say, how are you doing? And they go, oh, I'm doing okay. And I say, oh, good, I'm glad that's over. Dodge that bullet. Instead of really asking them, how are you doing? What can I pray for you about? No. I want to put a shout out. You know, Creekside, we put out a plea to, uh, you know, provide some winter clothes for the Creekside Preschool. These are things that they 
provide, uh, you know, kind of as an extra because if the kids forget their snow pants or they forget their coat or something like that. And so, and you came through. Praise God. I want to shout out to, you know, Creekside Church family for stepping up and doing something that may not be uh, comfortable. Next week, we're going to hear about some people who stepped out of their comfort zone and did what was uncomfortable because they went to a third world country and they ate food that they'd never eaten before or they didn't know about or they didn't even know what they were eating, but they ate it anyway. And they served the Lord in Haiti. Praise God. They stepped out of their comfort zone. But are we willing to do that with our neighbors? Do you get to know them? To talk to them, to share Jesus, the weightier matters of the law. No, not that we shouldn't, we should keep coming to church. We should take communion. We should, you know, give money in the offering. We should do all those things. But God also wants us to love our neighbors and to care for them and to minister to them. Isn't it sad that oftentimes Christians are viewed as the most obnoxious customers? The worst tippers? The most unreliable employees? I know not every Christian, but oftentimes they are. I can talk, to, I can tell you employers who would say, I'm sick and tired of hiring people who say they're Christians because they are worthless. You can talk to waiters and waitresses and people who come there on Sunday after church and they dread it. Some of them would rather have the after bar closes crowd. You know? At two in the morning. Sad. That's not the way it should be. We shouldn't turn people away. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, I really don't uh, know Jesus, but I know I'm not a religious hypocrite. I'm saying you're not in any better spot than the religious hypocrites as far as God's concerned. You're still a son of hell. And I don't say that with pleasure. That's not where God wants you. That's not where I want you. That's not where any believer wants you. You must humble yourself, surrender, and submit to what God did on the cross and accept what Jesus did as the payment for your sin. Turn from it and trust Him. Then you'll be be saved. And believers, let's ask ourselves some questions. Do I know the truth? And do I study it so that I'm not veered away from false to false teaching? So I don't lead somebody astray. And I'm, I wrote this for me. Lord, help me to see where I'm passionate, where I fail to be passionate in presenting and practicing the truth. Where is it that I'm not passionate in presenting and practicing the truth that would draw somebody else away from, from knowing Jesus? Is there a sin in my life that's done because it's common but it's repulsive to God? You know, little lies. Maybe I'm just overcritical. You know, it's, it's not wrong. I'm just, I'm just concerned about them, you know, uh, their spiritual life. But I can really be critical, especially towards other people. You know, I, I talk to other people about, you know, I'm just really concerned about so-and-so because, you know, they're really struggling with this. I, I just see this in their life. But I haven't talked to so-and-so. That's sin. And I'm not saying I'm a, a exempt from it. What common sins do I excuse that I need to avoid because God abhors them? And what's one specific way? What's a way that you can think of this week that you will demonstrate love towards a neighbor? Now, maybe that neighbor lives in your home. Maybe they live across the street. Maybe they're at your job. You understand what Jesus did when he died on the cross? It's a sacrifice he made. He expressed his love and expects us to exercise. And we can't exercise it unless we embrace his love for us. 
and he showed us the cost of it. And he, what it cost him on the cross is what he expects from us. No less. Death to self in our service for him and our ministry to other people. And so as we take a few moments right now to pause, and it's this time that we take communion, let's just don't go through it as through the motions. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you're at home listening and you know Christ, then the invitation is for you to examine your heart, <clears throat> confess any known sin, and then to take the elements when it's appropriate for you. Uh, two little flaps, one for the what they call bread, it's just a wafer, and then the next is the juice. Uh, sorry, this is the way we're doing it now after we... Uh, trying to work through COVID craziness, but this is the way it's done right now. But think and examine your heart. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you uh, for the, the lessons to us in the woes to the scribes and Pharisees. I thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross. Help us to be straight on the truth so that we'd never lead people or keep them out of the kingdom. Let us be straight on the truth so that our deception is not masquerading as devotion but that we're true and sincere authentically spiritually worshiping you we pray in jesus name amen